0: Hi, I'm James Hoffman. Hi, I'm Jay. You didn't say your name wrong, so I didn't get a chance to correct you. Trolling. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, no, you got it right. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. James, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? I will just quickly introduce myself as Jim's friend. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Sometimes we work in the same room. Yeah. Sometimes we get coffee together. Yeah. I recommend it. Jay, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug?
1: Sure. I was born in Florida and now I live in Germany, as you will probably hear, because I can't not bring that up, <laughs> and um, check out James Hoffman's Galapagos Project. Okay.
2: Yes, my work in progress game engine fantasy console development environment not quite released.
0: I have an outdated web page, but it will be out pretty soon. I hope. Yeah. Oh, so I wasn't looking at the web page, but it says October. Does it say which year?
2: Oh no! Oh yeah, yeah. It'll definitely be done October
0: of twenty twenty. All right, um, you guys ready for some topics? I'm ready. All right. Jay, you have here references dating things and or making them inaccessible. For example, older Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes, that Winter Wonderland song where they say a snowman looks like Parson Brown. Who the heck is that?
1: Yeah. The So, this is a thing that I, speaking of Germany, that I have run into, or I guess it has become most obvious uh, moving after moving here. Cause when I watch things with Katie, my wife, she's German and not only is she a little bit younger than me, like, but she's also, you know, she, she's pretty into American culture as it were compared to most Germans, I guess. But yeah, many of the things that like when, when I tried to show her some mystery science theater and for people who who don't remember or know Mystery Science Theater is the show with the silhouettes and they're talking over B-movies and joking about them. I like it a lot. Um, however, even when I try to rewatch some of these old episodes from the... from. 89 and up until 99 I guess I guess the whole run the whole original run <laughs> really they, they yeah. reference a lot of stuff which if I was watching it when it came out I would probably get it because that's what everyone was talking about but nowadays I just don't remember who any of these people are who are having I guess scandals back in the day that they reference and they do that a lot. So it kind of makes it hard to watch because, uh, yeah, it's hard to to understand a lot of the jokes.
0: Yeah, I, I think that sort of thing can really date a comedy sometimes to the point. Like, uh, do you remember reading, did you read Gulliver's Travels? Yes, I must have. I remember reading an annotated version of that. Hmm. where all the annotations were like, like every paragraph had like, and this is a parody of this pop culture thing <laughs> from the 18th century. And that book is just wall-to-wall jokes that nobody gets nowadays. See,
2: what I was reminded of um, is actually Mad Magazine, because mm-hmm. everything in that is referential.
1: I wonder if that's part of why, because it's it's possible to just emulate like the spirit of a thing and people will get what you're talking about without needing to know who a specific person is or a show is i wonder if they did that more if that would have helped or would it be just as hard to understand i don't know
0: well yeah and like i'll I'll make a a topical joke all the time on my twitter but if i'm like working if i'm making a work mm-hmm. that i'm going to like release as like that's one of my rules for, like, if I'm making a um, a joke that is an allusion to something, it also has to be funny if you don't get the allusion. Right. Yeah. Like, even if it's just at that point, it's, it's just absurdist comedy. And a lot of the time, like, I will like a joke better before I recognize what it's referring <laughs> to, just because it seems absurd.
1: Right. Uh, I guess to some degree, you need to know something, like... Maybe you don't know who... Well, the thing that comes to mind immediately is Kid Rock, because it's there's something in my game that I think of as like a bit of a Kid Rock type person. But if you don't know who Kid Rock is, then you at least know who sort of this washed up rock singer, lowbrow, and... Wait, so are you saying that hot butter
0: ice cream is a Kid Rock reference?
1: Like, very indirectly, because the chowder man made that. He's our fake sort of Kid Rock Eddie Vedder guy.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember that guy's name. That's
1: after his prime. But um, also just internationally, Mystery Science Theater has almost no fans here at all. There's nothing. And why would they? Because no one would understand anything, because most of what they reference is like American pop culture. They just would not get it. But other comedies do really well here.
0: Is there like a kind of American comedy that is is especially loved in Germany? My understanding of it is that Hollywood does
2: market to international audiences. But when it comes to comedies, what they tend to do is focus on physical humor, crude humor, and and like lowbrow type of things. uh, Because those are more easily translated.
1: Um, I'll give you a little list. The Simpsons is massively popular. Big Bang Theory. That has a lot of references, I think, but I think they translate references sometimes too.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember reading um, the Asterix comics as a kid and those are not just translated, but those are like heavily localized Mm -hmm. from the original French because that text is full of puns. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, they just had, the translators just had to come up with a new joke every time they made a pun.
1: Yeah, I think my wife prefers to watch... English versions of a lot of things that might involve puns, because often the translators don't localize. They don't do any, put any effort. It's just the literal thing, and you just have to figure out what they were talking about. So. I'm,
0: I'm trying to remember where I heard this, where the the police officer is telling somebody to pull over, and they translate it as a kind of sweater. Well, yeah. You know, it's a pullover. Oh, a pullover. Yeah, right. Yeah, so the the police officer is just yelling sweater at this lady <laughs> driving down the road. That's
1: awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like it when you see idioms that are just transliterated. Oh, those are great. So, I remember I, I did take German and there, there was like, you're heavy on the woodway. <laughs> like, I think a, a better translation would be you're on the wrong track. Right.
0: Right, okay. Before we move on from this topic, I'm just going to look up real quick who Parson Brown is. Oh, yeah.
1: Thank you. Because Germans even sing that song over here. And I
0: know for a fact no one knows who that is. All right. I'm looking for uh, like I've got I see something here on Urban Dictionary and I see something on answers.yahoo.com, but I'm not seeing anything authoritative.
1: <laughs> the only thing is it's Winter Wonderland comes up.
0: So I'll just read the Urban Dictionary entry. Parson Brown is the term used to talk about a typical Anglican priest of the 18th and 19th centuries. Parson Brown is not actual person, although he might have been at some time, but a figure of speech like John Doe is an unidentified male and Charlie is a watchman, which is also I had never heard of.
1: Well, yeah. So, you know, I guess it's it's possible that you could just write something and assume, oh, yeah, everyone will know a Parson Brown.
2: I mean, like you can find an old English text,
0: a parson. Right. Yeah, Parson isn't his name. Parson is like a title.
1: Now I'm going to be insufferable at all holiday gatherings when I tell everyone this interesting fact about this song. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I assumed Parson Brown, I didn't even remember when that song was written, but I assumed he was like a radio or television show host. Just sounds like that. Like a late night comedian, like Jimmy Kimmel or whoever, you know.
2: What comes to mind is more like an a fictional character like an
0: Eleanor Rigby or something right all right you guys uh you guys ready to move on to another topic yeah yeah, James uh you have here how four year olds perceive Lego
2: yeah, this is something from well i was I was visiting my brother and he has a four year old and she got some Legos, and she's learned like a little bit about playing with them. But I was asked by the rest of the family if I could like help her construct some things out of like one of those how-to-build-it guides. And it was like one of those that had like, a whole bunch of animals. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to work with her. But it turns out that when you're four years old, your attention span is too short to follow instructions in a manual or, or even watch <laughs> somebody else follow instructions in a manual. So, right. What actually happened was I would start building something, and she would pick up the other pieces and ask me what they are. She was really engaged in the whole process of uh, like playing, and that her uncle was playing with her. But it was just so difficult to to understand like how things were structured. I guess. So, were you putting together like uh, one of the one of the kits? We had both like just packs of regular bricks but also like one of the i think disney kits like a toy story one and and a disney princesses one so like i was i wasn't trying to go for one of the big projects but she would pick up the pieces the special pieces that you get with those disney kits and be like what's that and i'm like i don't know what that is it goes with like (laughs) 16 other things it's right. this like sloped
1: tile. She wanted you to say it's a chair or like define it for her imagination or something. Or
2: She's she's curious and she wants answers. And, you know, yeah. older people have answers to everything, right? I see. Uh... Yeah. But really, she was like she was most engaged when she saw things she identified that she could already play with. So, like, if I if I made the giraffe and she's like, "Ooh, a giraffe. And then she would be even more excited if I started, like, telling some story about it. Oh, yeah. How did it get in this park? Because she decided, like, the, the, the base that we were building on was this park where the giraffe would stay forever. And she made sure it stayed there forever because it was surrounded by a fence. And it was a happy giraffe.
0: Oh, that's that's <laughs> good to hear. That's That's very important. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to... Build a thing yourself. Sometimes you just want your uncle to tell you a story about a thing that already exists.
2: Yeah, I mean it's not even about so much the technical part of the building. It's like the the story of how it's there is just as important as any specific skill or process. It's intermingled in a way that like we tend to get away from when we're older. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I have played with a maybe five years old. And he was maybe the opposite, Hmm. he started clicking them together to make things, but they weren't supposed to be things, I guess, like they were just he went hog wild, just throwing them on each other. You know, there wasn't a there wasn't a goal to make any specific thing, but um, I was a big Lego kid and I really of course I can't remember. I wish my parents were here to tell me they probably don't remember either. I don't know at which point I, I, I started like seriously like, oh, I want to build a ship or whatever mm-hmm. out of these. Um, right. I probably started just following the instruction books, I guess. but
0: Jay, did you ever go through like a Doom level design phase? This year. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I went through
1: a Duke Nukem 3D level design phase uh. as a youngster. Yeah. But I didn't get very far. Um,
0: That's fair. <laughs>
1: It was more down like searching for and downloading other people's levels, and then opening the them in the editor and trying to make changes to them. I guess is what I was doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just read um Fab. I don't know how to pronounce his name, Fabian Sanglard. He wrote a book called uh, "The um, Doom Engine Black Book," uh, which goes in exhaustive detail into the um, context in which Doom was written. So, like the mm-hmm. historical context the hardware context, and also like exhaustive detail into like how the code works, how every bit of the engine works. Uh. And it was super interesting. Like, I don't think I've ever read a book that is that technical, but is also so fun to read. It made me, it put me in this mood where like, I really want to play Doom or play a bunch of Doom mods. And then Mm -hmm. I remembered like, I had done so fairly recently and didn't actually enjoy it, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like what I wanted, what I really want, and this has happened to me over and over again in my life, trying to evoke a feeling that I felt before by doing the same thing that did it last time. What I want is something that made me feel like doom made me feel when I was 14. Right. You know, and probably there's nothing that exists that's going to do that. But if there is, it's not going to be anything like doom.
1: Right. James what you described earlier I was thinking this too like is how she was interacting with the lego and with you is what I want out of maybe video games too like I like that's why I don't play minecraft or like creative games and similarly like when I messed with doom level stuff earlier in the year I was cuz cuz I was inspired by um well Sigil had recently come out which is John Romero's final doom episode and um and I was watching some of JP, your your other topic, Lord. The other the other J name. Yeah, uh, I was watching some of his streams of uh, of uh, Wad Wednesday is what he calls it. He plays Doom Doom levels, and and uh, of course Jazz, who did did our fake Linkin Park uh, new metal songs in Hypnospace. Jazz also does Doom modding, so I was like being hit from all sides on online with it. And I'm like, I got to get in there. But once I really started messing with it, just like, it just felt like work immediately, pretty much.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's, there's a huge difference between like, the promise of a creative tool and actually digging in and using it.
2: Right. Uh, Like, I'm kind of fascinated with this question, actually. Like, I think I'm not actually that interested in, in professionalizing, like, my creativity I guess mm-hmm. so much as I am like the idea of that at some point down the line I could I could be in the state where it just seems to flow easily like it
0: used to or as I imagine mm-hmm. it used to when I was like that four-year-old yeah I I do think this stuff comes even more easily for a young person I remember getting back to the topic of four-year-olds I remember um seeing the child of one of the of someone i was dating i tried to play kerbal space program with this kid thinking it would be like a fun like activity to share and I've, of course like that's a super involved simulation that i had no idea what i was doing and if i wanted to play it i would need to study it right you know like i'd need to read a textbook first and so it ended up being like a, a complete farce um But he loved it anyway. Uh, What what he ended up doing was like we loaded one of the scenarios where like there was a a ship in orbit and he just used the scroll wheel to just keep scrolling, like just keep zooming the camera out, pulling it back from the ship and just did that for like 10 minutes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And there was another time I saw, I'm not sure if it was the same kid or a different one playing Minecraft. Um, just digging into the ground and then replacing the block and then doing it again. And that went on for like five or 10 minutes. Wow! And I think it's just like, well, yeah, the the block moved into my inventory and then I was able to replace it this time. But what about next time? Yeah. Maybe we're too close. I do feel like there's a little bit of I don't know, when, when I when I see something happen once and assume it's going to happen that way every time, I do think that's a little bit like I'm not doing my due diligence. Like right. my son, when he throws like a cup on the ground from his high chair, and then when I put it back, he does it again. I don't think that's just like him fucking with me. I think that's him like seeing if it's going to like, is it going to fall the same way every time or is it going to fall sideways this time?
1: Right, right. Right. <laughs> You know, I guess the most recent example of this in terms of video games for me has been was Breath of the Wild maybe, but that may have been less to do with the game itself and more because I stayed pretty ignorant of what it was and what happens in it. Yeah. And so because there's a lot of systemsy stuff in there, I was surprised a lot by it and I kind of didn't quite grasp the possibility space at first. So I think I got a little bit of that feeling from that for a little bit, anyway.
0: You guys ready for another topic? Yes. So I wanted to talk about watching behind the music documentaries and realizing all the meathead as meatheads I was judging for their appearance in music videos in the '90s are as huge music theory nerds as any of my friends. And this is like this is entirely, uh, I think, a, a, fa- a, pr- a product of how most people have a much higher drive to. Be cool than I do. (laughs) I, I wish I could remember the example, but like just seeing the somebody who looks like a new metal punk, or the punk is probably the wrong word, or hell, somebody who looks like a punk sitting at a piano and like talking about jazz chords. And it's totally unfair on my part that this is, this is like a, that this is even something that I, that I think is a weird juxtaposition but it is a very much like a mo- a moment where i'm like oh right people who look fashionable can also be <laughs> be skilled as well
1: yeah if i see a very like dolled up person with like lots of ornamentation or something we're like trying to give a specific image then I I think my brain immediately assumes oh there's a producer who do, who like does all this and writes their music or something like that.
2: What what it comes to mind is T Pain without the auto tune because when when <laughs> that video appeared that was like almost ten years ago I think and that was like a big viral sensation for some reason. It's like oh T Pain can actually sing. <laughs> right.
0: I I hadn't seen that video and I just assumed it was like, oh, T-Pain can't actually sing. <laughs>
1: I mean, that, that would be great too. This this is a thing that I think about a lot, but not only music, even in like, unfortunately, sort of the way my brain works with game stuff too, I guess. I guess I always, I think I have something left over from a long time ago where I assume, oh, a disheveled nerdy person who doesn't do anything with hygiene probably more into it than a person who has a perm and some cool clothes that were expensive or something
0: i was in my early teens when grunge hit and that's definitely not a coincidence where like i probably without really thinking about it modeled myself my appearance on that for much of my life
1: So I was like around twelve or thirteen when new metal was a thing, and I started wearing all that, like the baggy jenkos, very baggy jeans, and all that. But that didn't uh, didn't
0: stick. But but did a photo of it end up in Hypnospace Outlaw?
1: Oh, I I I really should should have done that. I don't think (laughs) I have one in there. Unfortunately, I did do something while I was making this game. Which has to do with a lot of dot com era stuff, which was I I tried to find dorky button up shirts that like some web people in the late 90s would have worn. And I always was tucking them in and wearing a belt and just trying to look very Silicon Valley circa 1999. And now my wardrobe is mostly that still. (laughs) It helped in some way. It, It was like method acting, but for video games, I guess. But um I haven't I haven't shaken this yet. So this is my dress still, but I don't know if this is stylish looking. I doubt it. <laughs> maybe maybe in some ironic way to people, but to me it's just it's just now my normal clothes. I don't know if it's a costume anymore, but yeah.
0: there's a reason this podcast isn't called Stylish Lords. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now I have a I do have an example of the opposite sort of of what you're talking about or the inverse maybe is um, Billy Idol. He has a video that I was watching early in development of my game. I was sort of more going for like a goofy cyberpunk back then. Mm-hmm. But um, but so I was looking up his album Cyberpunk, which came out in the early 90s. And he was just getting into computers, I guess. And there's like some MTV video of him working on the album. And there's a clip of him answering emails or answering chat messages or something from fans it it zoomed into the message he was typing the person and everything was like grammatically wrong and like misspelled and stuff and like when he was talking about the actual music he also just revealed that he just doesn't didn't really know a whole lot about what the heck's going on there but um yeah the the other thing was on that to- on the cyberpunk album press tour I I was reading about he said if you want to do an interview with me then you have to read neuromancer or else I won't <laughs> do an interview with you and then when jur- journalists did this and then they started asking him questions about the book because of course if you made me read this whole book and he asked Hadn't actually read it. <laughs> he just <laughs> he just thought it was cool, I guess, and that's kind of what I assumed Billy Idol would have been like from his appearance.
0: But, yeah, yeah. I, if I were in that position, I might be like, "Oh, tell me about this book. I, it seems really cool, but I don't really have time to read it." So I was, I was farming the work out to journalists who interview me.
1: <laughs> right. Maybe. <laughs>
0: uh, are you guys ready for another topic? Yeah. So this is a write-in. Groke asks, cheap musical instruments are cool, aren't they? Penny whistles, harmonicas, ocarinas, any personal experiences with these? Um, Uh, And I wanted uh, to, I I got um, an automaton for Christmas. It's kind of shaped like a musical note. The stem of the note has a um, a metal strip on it. If you push on the strip towards the top of the note, it plays a low note. And if you push it towards the bottom of the stem, it plays a high note. Um, and then you can squeeze the the bulb at the bottom of the stem, like looks like a face. If you so, if you squeeze the face, its mouth opens and the note gets a little bit louder. And it's uh, not a pleasant thing to listen to because it kind of sounds like a, I think it's a square wave. Yeah, it's it's kind of a honking noise, if I remember right. Right, and there's a little bit of like filtering happening because you know it's cu- going through a piece of plastic.
1: It's, is, it, is the audio coming out of the mouth?
0: It's coming out of the, the... So the speaker is inside the bulb. So that filters it just through... Based on whether you're opening the mouth. Yeah, yeah it gets louder and also brighter.
1: That's really interesting. Because I didn't pay much attention. I'd always assumed this was some digital filter effect. But it was just it's just the mm-hmm. mouth opening and closing doing that.
0: That's neat. Oh, yeah. It's like when you put your thumb over the speaker on the Game Boy... Right, right. And right. then peel it off.
2: Yeah. I mean, so I played trumpet and we had mutes for those and you had a, a several kinds of mutes in jazz. Like we would use the plunger mute and that would you would like wave it and get
0: that kind of wah sound. Is a plunger ju- a plunger mute just like the head of a plunger? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. That's cool. It's a uh, it's a good noise. I I um I also got a mini saxophone for Christmas, which is like the, a tiny reed instrument. And I spent a few minutes trying to figure out how to make it to make, make it make noise. And then a few more minutes trying to make the noise sound like a note. Right. And then like my mouth was tired of vibrating. So I put it away. Is that
1: white by any chance? That's
0: uh, I got a black you got one. got a black
1: one. I have a thing that I'm, might be the same thing. It's like a, it's almost like a mixture between a recorder and a saxophone or something, but...
0: Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah.
1: I, I also failed at playing <laughs> playing a note yeah. out of it. But.
0: The reason I bring it up is, uh James, you... I don't know if this is the same thing as playing a reed instrument, but how do you deal with your mouth vibrating all the goddamn time when you play trumpet?
2: It all happens in the lips. Yeah. And you're doing this buzzing. So, you know, you can do like the horse flap... <laughs> type of sound. Yeah. If you do that more tightly, it becomes more of a buzz. It becomes.
0: Yeah. And whenever I've tried to yeah. play a trumpet, that's what I do. And it just makes that noise. Yeah. And it's, it's just
2: something that you like, I'm totally out of shape for doing it now, but you develop some muscle control, I guess. And you know, some strength because it does take like actual, strength to to do that and if you want to play high then you have to vibrate faster so there's there's kind of an ego thing with trumpet players where they want to play really really high notes yeah and so Mm -hmm. you can go uh, you can go on youtube and find videos of people playing like the quadruple high c right yeah like i I could never do anything like that i could barely hit a a high c
0: but it it's not even musically useful it's just like showing off (laughs) Right, yeah, I remember uh there was a website for the Tasty Brothers with two e's instead of a y. Um and this was like their thing as far as I could tell was taking pop songs and dubbing like incredibly high pitched trumpet lines <laughs> over the melody. I I don't think it exists anymore, but I'll see if I can track some down for to put to, to paste into the podcast. Yeah. But it was like, it, it was very funny to me at the time listening to, like, it was this here's Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. And it's just this wailing, incredibly high pitched, like, as you said, not actually really musically useful, but still being a note.
1: And I'm guessing it's to be funny is why they make these. Or is it like because they sound cool to them? It or?
0: must be f- because it's funny, because it was hilarious. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know sometimes, but the um this small instrument thing was my brand for a while, as they say. Um, oh yeah. Back in um,
0: what was your favorite?
1: In my car, in like the back seat, I would always have all of these th- little dinky things. Like, uh, I think how do you say it? claves? The little little oh, sticks yeah, you knows? knock together.
0: Yeah. Clavs sounds right Mm -hmm.
1: to me. I really like those. And that's because of this one Brian Eno song called St. Elmo's Fire. They're prominent in that song. And so so I really became obsessed with those. And I had a few different sets all in my backseat of my car. I had an Uh ocarina. And sometimes people would actually play along to songs with my dumb... Like, if, if I was driving kids from church somewhere or something, oh, that's great. Um, mm. yeah, that was my thing for a long time, and I'd record them in albums. Also, right here, I have a melodica that we found in my wife's parents' basement.
0: You're gonna regale us with uh, a jaunty tune? No,
1: it'll be a disaster.
0: I promised in the Discord that if I had talked about my automaton, I would insert. Me playing the careless whisper riff on automatone into the podcast. So I'll probably do it right here. (laughs) But you guys won't be able to hear it because
1: I'm going to do it later in post. Can you send me it in post? And then on the second repetition, I will add. I will add some harmonic backing with my melodica.
0: That sounds great. I'll
1: just send you the 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 isolated melodica track so you can mix it and add add delays. I need to actually play it in a key. I will detune my melodica digitally to match <laughs> it. <laughs> okay.
0: Because the, the automaton is a microtonal instrument, like unless I, uh, I'm i like listening to a reference pitch, like it could be like halfway between C and C sharp, you know, we really have our work cut out for us for this episode.
1: This is high production value. You Patreon folks better pony up.
0: Are you guys ready for another topic? I think so. Yes. Uh, James, you have uh Timberwolf slash Husky breeds and their incredible jaws. Yeah. It was at noise bridge.
2: So anybody brings whatever they want into noise bridge because it's, you know, anarchist hackerspace. And on this occasion, somebody had their dog there. And it was this giant timber wolf husky breed. The dog came over, you know, w- looking around. And, and uh, eventually I got its attention and, and like, let it sniff my hand. Except that it got really excited and, and, you know, most dogs, they'll just kind of lick at your hand. But this one took its entire jaw and, like, brought it over my arm sideways <laughs> and gently bit down on it. But, like, it, it it left a small mark, but it wasn't, like, bleeding or anything. Wow. Yeah. You know, it was a friendly dog, but it's so, so big. That sounds terrifying. I was thinking... I mean, that's why why it became a topic, is I was still thinking about it. Right, yeah.
1: <laughs> so it was terrifying
2: a little bit. Yeah, I, I was slightly worried that something would
0: happen. Yeah. It's, it's an anarchist collective. Anything can happen.
1: Yeah, my dog kind of does this sometimes. Like, generally, we've tried to, like, not reward such a thing by reacting. So I don't think she sees much value in trying to mouth, or or I guess that might be what you call that, where they gently sort of, like, eat you. <laughs> but, um, right. But my dog does do this on occasion, and every time it happens, I, like, have a tiny, tiny bit of fear that something will startle her, and she'll just clamp down and, like, murder my hand or something like this. Yeah. So I relate, I guess. She's a medium-sized dog, so... Could probably do a little damage.
0: I bet, I bet you could take her. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Maybe.
0: Winston does a lot of different things that like eventually we probably need to train him out of, like, like throwing the cup on the floor. Well, maybe he'll stop by himself. But I think a lot of that stuff is funny. So I laugh <laughs> when he does it. Which is definitely encouraging him to do it more. Like, he loves making us laugh.
2: Yeah, no, this is a thing when my niece was younger that there there is a lot of play value in dinner time. Yeah. Because she could, you know, delay eating the food and play with the food and claim that she's hungry still or she's not hungry. She doesn't want to go to bed because bed would come after dinner time. Right. So there's there's a lot of negotiation going on, which maybe your, your your kid is starting to get into that now.
1: Yeah, I've been guilty of this as an adult. Uh, yeah, but but with, <laughs> with like back when I was so I was like a youth group leader in in Florida for at a church and uh there's a one there's one very bad instance of this where I I just did it and okay this was me of 15 years ago so you have to forgive okay
0: I'll do my best with
1: this kid this uh the same kid I played legos with actually and uh and there was a there was an elephant in there and I just absent-mindedly said it was fat oh no and and I was like oh yeah I was describing the things and I was like it's a fat elephant <laughs> and a and then later they were at a a Walmart and they were in the front desk, like line to return something, and there was a bit of a hefty uh, lady in line in front of them, and it was sort of like a church lady, and she had like a hat on, which is relevant to this story. And then <laughs> the kid points at the lady and and she and he tugs at his mom, and he's like, "Mom, fat," and and she's like, "No." Oh, oh, you mean hat. She has a hat and stuff. And he goes, no, fat. (laughs) This story was recounted to us in a subsequent like meeting that we had. And I was thinking that was probably my fault in my mind. And eventually I did tell them that I think that was my fault. But I guess there's lots of opportunities for kids to learn this outside of me teaching them hopefully
0: right yeah i mean it's certainly not entirely your fault yeah i mean that's one of the things about kids that age is they just have no filter right like almost literally no filter like certainly not for being polite Right. you can you can really trust their opinions Like I'm like most adults you meet.
1: Yeah, I guess when I was in elementary school, I told they had you write a little journal, which was just you do drawings and then they write what you said. And I had said that I don't like when my parents take me to the dark place. Oh, no. I still have this somewhere. And they they called a meeting with my parents because I just made the dark place sound very bad. And it was just going to bed is what I didn't like.
0: Right. Of course. That's that's really good. Yeah.
1: I also predicted 9/11 in that same journal. This was in the 90s and I had said I had written on 9/11 a fire happens. And I showed a building <laughs> burning is what I drew, a building burning.
0: Did you mean the date?
1: I meant the show 911. I only in retrospect did I realize that's what I meant. They had a there was a TV show that my parents would watch with like
0: clips of Emergencies,
1: right? So that's what that was, but it did look like I predicted
0: nine eleven a little bit. So you got, you got a call from the FBI about your involvement. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: right.
0: All right, you guys ready for another topic? I'm yes. ready. Jay, you have here losing the ability to know when things are conventionally aesthetically pleasing.
1: Yeah, I've been working with sort of some of these aesthetics and design languages from like the late 80s and into the late 90s that are maybe they were passe. I don't I don't know who decides all that, but like they have been for a long time passe. Like like Global Village Coffee House is what you would call one of these things, styles or whatever, which is like sort of the borrowed tribal iconography mixed with like tech themes that a lot of like companies were using and like to show how the internet was going to bring a new era of like togetherness and communication and stuff. And a lot of that, I just started thinking it looks cool. Like maybe at first I thought it was like cheesy, of course. And then like I was trying to emulate it out of just, you know, a desire to be accurate in my project or out of a desire to sort of, poke at it a little bit but now and it's not only that one there's a lot of these little sort of design languages and and even sounds like um fm synthesis and wavetable synthesis from like uh the the late 90s early 2000s especially in like new age music or in stock music like the weather channel would post a lot of this kind of but like the visuals especially like even like the GeoCities sort of look of like random animated images everywhere and uh, just some tiled background. I legitimately like how that looks like now. And maybe it's because I'm too close. And like also the meaning of just like this is something a person just chose. They thought it looked good. And I find it at at the very least, I find it charming But I really legitimately think it looks good now. Like, whereas if you show people these things, generally it's ugly, but I don't think it's ugly anymore. (laughs) Like, I really like how it looks.
0: Well, so much of aesthetics is just what you're accustomed to. Like, if you surround yourself with that stuff, it makes sense to me that it, it it becomes pleasing. But like, if you look at, Something. If you look at like an old GeoCities page and you think it looks funny, that's definitely a form of pleasure. That's definitely a form of aesthetically pleasing. That's true. But but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about how like you you would hang this on the wall.
1: Yeah, and- I think it. I think that this. I'll try to defend it in some little way. Like like let's say there's a flame backdrop and it's like these three little flames that are just they've made them seamless somehow in a graphics editor and they're just repeating all down someone's page and then like maybe they overlaid a table over it (laughs) like a like a html table there's something about that i find neat looking like um pop art or something you know it just looks kind of cool to me now um and I think part of the reason for this is um Olea Lealina and Dragon Espensheed. These two have a have a project called One Terabyte of the Kilobyte Age. And they go into a lot of these, and they also do a lot of net art, they would call it. But they go into a lot of these old like GeoCities or equivalent websites, and they they they, they they'll interview the people who made them. Like, what were you even just these weren't even like prominent like websites of the era. It was just someone who had a hobby site, maybe. And they'll interview them. Right. And they had a recent one uh, over Christmas or over New Year's with um, pages that had this snow effect where these snow images would um, fall down the page. But the images In the archived version, the snow images were broken, so you just saw these little transparent X icons floating down these pages, and it Uh. looked really cool to me. And they actually, though, because they're archivists, they, they put work into restoring those, and they found the original images and made replicas of how how the websites looked originally with the with the actual snowflake graphics
0: and it wasn't as good as the broken image version
1: it wasn't as novel i guess for sure immediately appealing but i did like the snowflake versions too but there's just something about maybe the repetition like of of like these low quality or you know low fidelity images something about that i don't know there's just something that looks really nice about all of it to me. It's probably a little bit nostalgia, probably a lot bit nostalgia. Yeah. But it's also just something about the, 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 the appearance of the work or whatever that looks good to me now. I don't
0: know. Yeah. The idea of losing touch with your sense of aesthetics is a little bit terrifying to me um, as a creator, because my sense of aesthetics is the only way, it's my only guide for making anything. Right. <laughs> the only way I know how to make something is by, or rather the only way I know how to make something that other people like is by first making something that I like and hoping it translates. And like part of my growth over the cr- as a creator over the past eight years has been learning to trust my sense of humor you know, and it's not just that I can make my friends laugh, but also this kind of humor has uh, enough of an audience that it's worth sharing with the world. Right. Hmm. So, my sense of it is kind of that
2: I don't trust my own sense of aesthetics because I think they were already kind of weird to begin mm-hmm. with. Right from the beginning, I I, I liked old retro aesthetics, pixel art and that kind of stuff. Now when you say the beginning, what do you mean? Oh, the beginning of like when I created things as an adult, I guess. Okay. Yeah. But where I like I considered myself serious about it. Yeah, I would I would definitely look back to these old things that most most people's definitions of it would say that it looks ugly. And think, no, this is actually a cool pattern that they have. And, you know, I, I like this this effect that they did with the colors. And it's all very simple stuff. You know, it's not, like I mentioned, pixel art. But I'm not even thinking of, like, uh, complex sprite art or anything. I'm just thinking, like, Atari 2600 graphics, for example. Like Centipede. Yeah. or Yeah. Yeah. And those very simple patterns and, and like, the... The overall, um, the arrangement, the layout. Um, composition. Composition, yes, that's it. And so, so like, I knew very quickly that because my sensibilities were strange, I needed another thing to, to like, lean on. And for a while, this meant, like, copying, I guess. But I, I think gradually, like, I... I found another thing to do, which was like study philosophy and use all of the critical thinking skills to create more elaborate justifications, which is, which is like derive from like a very general principle, something that can be turned into an aesthetic. So like
0: our art as a science.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like find... True and false statements and then use um, induction and use deduction and, and, like, try to create more general statements or establish broader troops and play with art in that sense. Right. Yeah, so I've, I've gotten really far away from just trusting my own aesthetic sensibilities to the point where I was trying to make some sprite art yesterday. Because I need to do this for example code and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I could do this really like untried pixel art aesthetic where it's like even more rectangular than usual. And and like it, it had like different pixel scales in it, in a sense, because I was like overlaying patterns in there. Right. I like I'm I'm still not sure if I'll go with it because I know it looks conventionally strange but I'm also compelled by it and at the same time I'm also like well maybe this takes too long I should just copy something
1: (laughs) right I guess there's some some threshold of like where a thing between stylistic weirdness and like people just immediately dismissing it and I, I like Jim said, I'm a, it's a little terrifying because I don't know when I'm going to like cross it. And then I'll I'll be working on a thing for years and I'm like, oh, God, everyone people are going to love this. And then everyone says it's ugly. Like Nidhogg 2, everyone said what not everyone, but a lot of people thought the art was very ugly in that. And uh, I thought it was very pretty. So I don't know if that's an example, and I don't know if the artist would relate to this conversation. But oh, I had a question: uh, your Galapagos like yeah. fantasy console that the you have a uh, you have an image like a splash image looking thing with like colors down the side. Is that like the palette?
2: Yeah, that's the... the that's the default palette. It's actually powerful enough that it can do more than those colors. But that's the like that's the palette that I'm working with.
1: And by combining those colors and like with dithering or something, you make the other colors or?
2: No, I haven't gone that far. It's it's just plug in free RGB values and you can get whatever you want. Um,
1: You're choosing those colors, though. Was that was that sort of that was very intentional. Like there was an initial
2: intent to get um, specifically I wanted the aesthetic of the amber and uh, green monochrome monitors and then i wanted to extend that a little bit so i i started with a
0: green and an orange tint and then i added more shades yeah it's 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 interesting like i i think when i think of like a well-chosen palette i think of something that can represent a wide variety of styles and subjects but if you look at uh retro game systems like the nes and the commodore 64 you can. They they have a like a hue to them. They have like a color grade mm-hmm. to the sort of art you can produce with them, and I don't think necessarily they were intended to, mm-hmm. but the, that was just the result. And then if you look at like EGA, that's a just a mess like that. That selection <laughs> yeah. of sixteen particular colors, and so I I think it's neat to see, especially because like Galapagos isn't trying to be you know the only the only place you play games. It can be a place where you play very specific things. I think it's neat to for it to have a specific aesthetic as well, then.
2: And I think what I'm going for is the a default aesthetic that's a starting point. Right. That's very convenient for certain things. But I'm also not really going for hard limitations in a lot of things. So one of the color features that I, I actually really like is that I have an in the graphics core um, something for tinting all of the colors so you can do those fancy color cycling effects you can do fades and um, uh, desaturation and those are like effects that normally when you see them done by like a a naive graphics programmer who, who's just like what's the simplest way to do like a fade it's it's kind of disappointing in a sense because it's just like they put they added black to the scene, right? And so it fades in this very specific way. That's the same in every game. And so, kind of, kind of, my attention with bringing out like here's tint values to play with is uh, stop playing with it on the level of can I implement the fade at all and then leave it there. It, it start with like okay, the fade's actually really really simple, and now I can just like put a curve over it and make it very distinctive.
0: Yeah, it's really yeah. easy. Yeah. If- to um when you have an idea to do something if it takes you a long time to implement the first draft of an idea like at least in my case i will often be like yeah that looks good enough to me and <laughs> and be done with it but like if i can do something in like 15 seconds i will then decide like well what can i how can i make this better how can i tweak this
2: yeah you'll 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 get in that that stage where you're just like oh i haven't done enough yet and th- that's what I'm hoping for.
1: Right.
0: You guys ready for another topic? Yeah. Yes. I wanted to talk about how um, the CPAP machine is really putting a damper on my dreams of growing a Santa beard one day. I have found that um, it is very hard for the uh, CPAP mask to form a seal around my beard and it mm. gets better when I trim my beard and it... Probably gets worse if I grow it out more, and so like one of the things I was looking forward to getting old was just like, yeah, I can I can totally go for that Santa aesthetic, like that's a very that's a very uh, jolly aesthetic that I that I aspire to, <laughs> and now I'm pretty sure I can't do that. That's pr- I'm pretty sure that's like unless I like have a fake beard I put on in the morning.
1: They don't make custom beard guy masks for those?
0: Yeah, I could or... actually I could look into like there's um there's the nasal pillow version of it which just blows air into your nose instead of your both your nose and your mouth um right. which seems to me like a recipe for disaster because like right. I'm usually at least partly congested So, I like a lot of the time, I'll be breathing through my mouth anyway. I see. To hear the way people people talk about it, um, you have to keep your mouth closed when you use one of those because otherwise, like the air that is blowing into your nose comes out of your mouth. And so, like you try to open your mouth to speak or to drink and you're just, you're like (sighs) exhaling with incredible force. Uh,
1: That's rough. I mean, a lot of my family needs one of those machines too. So, this may be... I also aspire to that, by the way. Yeah. Maybe not the Santa, maybe
0: maybe a wizard. We definitely share a kind of a look. But this
1: will be something I probably have to deal with. I, a cursory Google says wax your beard.
0: Oh, okay, <laughs> now that's exciting to me. I should have tried a cursory Google before giving up on my dreams.
1: It says you can condition your beard to help improve a seal. Lanolin softens your beard. Wow. And some matte their beard and mustache with wax, but you might need to tighten your mask. A mask liner can maintain the seal.
0: Jay, I think you just saved my life.
1: Good luck. I don't know. I'll send you this link. You might not want to trust this website because it's called (laughs) cheapcpapsupplies.com. And they may just be trying to sell you their
0: supply. Yeah, but it'll be cheap at least.
1: Yeah, well, that's good.
0: Instagram has figured out that I have sleep apnea. Oh, no. And so, like, almost every ad I see on there is about snoring solutions. But the, the solutions aren't the things that are snoring.
1: Sounds like a Harry Potter thing.
0: Anyway. A solution, like, meaning, like, something dissolved in water. that for for some reason snores would be a very that would be a something the potions master would do as a punishment
1: so if you achieve your goal and become a santa-esque old person would you play the role or would you just be a santa-esque guy and not and not like a santa
0: i feel like i could um just wear a fedora or Dress up like Indiana Jones <laughs> in, with every aspect of my clothing. You can dress up like disguised Santa. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm like I'm Santa's alter ego, like uh, Clark Kent. <laughs>
1: right. You still wear the red suit, but you wear a big trench coat <laughs> and a hat over it. So, and if a kid sees you and says Santa, then you go shh, and
0: then it'll be magical. Like pull open my trench coat to reveal the S emblazoned on my chest.
2: Uh, Just today I was looking at, um, there's a a German guy on YouTube who, who has this very funny laugh. Um, and he's, he's, his channel is about slingshots and bows and building them, but he has this certain laugh that he uses when he fires them. He goes, ha 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 ha. And I'm like, that, that would be
1: a good
0: Santa laugh.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Does he have a beard?
0: Yeah, I think he has a beard. I mean, I think if with that kind of laugh, you just start growing, you start growing a beard a lot faster because your body needs it to happen. But you said this is when he when he fires crossbow bolts. Did you say? Yeah. No. He he, he has this
2: system for for firing, um, actually firing a longbow very rapidly. It's this unique invention, and wow. so he'll he'll go out into the forest and he has like targets set up, and he'll shoot shoot like six shots in 10 seconds or something and it'll be like
0: wow i i would be extremely pleased with myself as well if i had invented that system
1: now in the in the tim allen universe if you shoot santa with a arrow do you still become santa or
0: i'm gonna have to try it and find out
1: yeah we'll see well, I guess that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You guys ready to call it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: All right. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Uh, James, if this is something you want out of your life, where can people find you on the internet? I have a personal website
2: at Ludamix, L-U-D-A-M-I-X dot C-O-M. And I also have an itch page, which the uh, account is Triple Fox.
0: <laughs> uh, and Jay, if this is something you want out of your life, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Yeah, sure. It's uh, at jaytholenjtholen on Twitter.
0: <laughs> I'm giving you a big silent thumbs up. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Good night, everybody.
1: <laughs> bye, bye, folks.
0: Good night, and to all, a good night. There we go. Now we've now we've got a tagline. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the topic bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there.